desk. And I've told him no. So that's how we're starting today. Um, so, hi. I haven't actually uh, been up here um, in uh, almost a year. Um, so how lucky are you? Um, and uh, Stop laughing now. Um, and I just, I just want to chat to you today. And um, I don't want you to view this as a sermon. I more need to view it as just a thought for this week and, and just a, a challenge that's been laid down to move you from a season you're in into the new season that God has for you. Um, and that's really what I found God put on my heart. It's to, it's to move us from a season we're in to the new season he has for us. And I just want to echo John's prayer that he prayed. It's, it's for me to hear, it's for me to give, but it's for you to receive. I can, I can lay it down, I can put it on the table, but if you don't want to pick it up, you won't pick it up. But if you're ready, if you're willing, if you have the humility to receive, then I believe God has something really quite powerful that he wants to do in your hearts today. Um, and this is uh, an individual message, but it's a, it's a community message, and it's a message about understanding who we are and how we best operate. And we can't do that if we don't know where we've come from. You see, as people, we are created, we are designed to operate in a certain way. And when we operate in these ways, it's the best for us. I call them little pathways that God creates, and they're littered all over the Bible. An example of a pathway that God creates is forgiveness. So if you choose to walk the pathway of forgiveness, you gain something in return. But if you choose not to, then you choose to forfeit what is rightfully yours to have. So God will never withhold, but you will choose what pathway you're prepared to walk on or not. So I want to talk to you today about another pathway that God has created for us. That if we choose to walk in, we have blessing. If we choose to not, we forfeit that. And we become less powerful for doing so. So I want to talk to you today about a new level of power, a new level of authority that we can walk into as individuals, but more importantly as a collective body. We are the vehicle that God has chosen to change this world. We are. No individual creates a body. Members, people, uniting together create a body. And through that body, God desires to change the world. God could, of course, if he so wanted to, do it without us. He doesn't need us. But he chose not to. He chose And so my question is, what choice are we going to make? Even me standing here, God gives me this word. I have have an obligation to give it, but I also have an obligation to receive it myself. So I'm going to ask you to do nothing more than I'm going to be doing. And I'm going to ask you to be challenged just as I've been challenged. And hopefully together we can pick up that challenge. But it is really important to know where we come from, who we are, what we were made, created, designed to be. If we don't know that, then we can't go forward. The two, in my opinion, the two most important books of the Bible are Revelation and Genesis. They are the bookends of the Bible. If you take them away, the rest doesn't make sense. It's like reading Harry Potter without a start and the end. It's like reading Harry Potter anyway, it doesn't make sense. But it's, it's like reading Harry without the, you do, if you came in at the middle and it was like, and Harry died for you, you'd be like, ah, but why? Did I, did I need dying for? Did I need saving? Was I not okay before? And then, if I've now been died for, where am I now going? If I don't know the end, what am I heading towards? And these are the two most attacked books in the Bible because if you take them, 
things start to unravel and fall apart. But Genesis is so important because in the beginning of Genesis, God lays out how and why he designed us. And if we start from Genesis and move forward, we start to see all sorts of pathways in how we are created as people and how we best operate. If we're prepared to start at the beginning, we will see how God created us. Now God, in the beginning, says to himself, because there's three of him in one, and he says, let us make man in our own image. Mankind. Genderless. Mankind. Let us make man in our own image, in our own likeness. We are created by God to be like God, not to be God, but to have characteristics like our creator. So when we start to understand that, we start, if we know what God is like, then surely that's what we must be like. If God is loving, then as a default community, we should be loving. And if we choose not to walk in love, then we're choosing to walk against our very natural state of being. Because we're designed not to hate, we're designed to love. It's only our own pride, it's only our own jealousy, it's only our own selves that cause us to hate. Because we're not designed, we were not created to hate, we were created to love. We were also not designed to be individuals. To be isolated, to be alone, to be separated. God straight away says, hey look, he looks around and he says, it's not good for man to be alone. And then he calls all the creatures of the earth to man. And he gives him dominion over them. And he, gets, he, he says, name them, whatever you want to call them. If you want to call that thing an ostrich, that's your business. I don't understand why, but you, you can do that. It's not what I'd have called it, but there you go. But, he gave, but no suitable companion could be found for man. So at the very beginning of creation, God sees a problem in that it's God and man, but there's a piece missing. So God says, what can I do about this? And I honestly believe this is, this is one of the the worst bits of translation, although I understand why they did it, that, that, that's happened in the entire Bible. God says, it's not good for man to be alone. I shall make a, and most translations, helper or helpmate, something along those lines. The actual word is Aza, E-Z-E-R, which is a word that's used to describe a characteristic of God. It's used to describe his power. If you want the more literal translation of what God says when he looks at man, he goes, it's not good for this dude to be alone. He says, dude, it's not good for this dude to be alone. I shall make for it a power facing it like it. That's powerful right there. It's not good for man to be alone. I shall make a power facing it like it. We are designed to be in community, facing each other, having God-like powers, facing one another, walking one another in communion with God. Community basically means a common unity of people. And if you read elsewhere in the Bible, Jesus says to his disciples, you have not chosen me, but I chose you. When Jesus came to walk this earth, he chose his disciples. They may have been fooled into thinking that they had something to do with it, but Jesus tells them very clearly, you did not choose me, 
but I chose you. We are a community that comes together around a common cause in unity chosen by God. Because the other thing that we were created to be, we were created to belong. And as soon as we don't feel like we don't, we, we don't belong, we cease to be a functioning community anymore. And as soon as we stop being a community that allows people to belong, we stop being what God always intended us to be. Adam and Eve belonged. Eve belonged to Adam. Adam belonged to Eve. God had them both belonging unto himself. It was a community of three, created by a community of three, for belonging together. That is how we are created. We were never ever created to be anything other than a community together that comes around a common cause, which is Christ. A Christ-centred community that is united by Christ, for Christ, and chosen by him. So every one of you sitting here today has been chosen by God to be part of this community, to come together and unite around a common cause, a common purpose, and that common cause and purpose is Christ. I've got to be honest, the thing that keeps me coming here week in, week out, I love your people, but it's because Christ calls me here. But then how I live in this community will impact the impact I have in this community, how I choose to respond and react. So right at the start, God creates Adam and Eve. And once he's done that, he says, it is good. At that point, he goes, this is good. Stamp of approval, this is how I want it to be. He doesn't create Adam and Eve, cause a bit of a distraction, let them be separated and then go, that's good. He doesn't have Adam on his own and say, that's good. He doesn't have Eve on her own and say, that's good. He doesn't exist on his own self and say, that's good. He creates Adam and Eve places them before one another as equal powers facing each other. Each other giving the other what it doesn't have with Christ and God at their centre and he said, that is good. Only that is good. We are created purposefully, specifically and intentionally to live in unity with each other, with Christ at our centre. Anything else does not work. You take Christ out of a community, what do you have? You normally get quite an abusive, power-controlling community that will fall out bicker, or where one person will take over and drive that community itself. If you take man or woman out, if you take man out of a community, you take woman out of a community, it doesn't work. It only works... When man and woman stand in unity together, with Christ at their centre, and only then is it good. So as a community, we only work when we all, do, we all discover that all of us are equal in Christ. All of us were created equal. All of us are a different part of the jigsaw that without we would be lacking in something. It doesn't matter what gifts you think you do or don't have. You are a part of a jigsaw that has been brought here intentionally to belong to this community, to add something to it. And if you don't, we miss out. And if you haven't discovered what that is yet, I pray that you come and find somebody today and discover what that is. What piece are you? Because there's nobody here that is not a valuable 
powerful piece of the jigsaw. And I really don't care if you believe in Christ yet or not. I'm telling you right now that you are part of a jigsaw and you belong to this community. If Christ has brought you here, if you're here for the first time, you may think that you came because you wanted to or that you're here just by accident or maybe you don't normally come here and you've just turned up today. It's no accident. You are here, you are part of a Christ-centred community where each piece is as powerful as the next. But what does the enemy seek to do then? Because if Christ is for us, then whatever Christ is for, the enemy is against. I, I, I don't know what Bible you read. I've never seen the, the two agree. You know what I mean? I'm the best. And the enemy goes, yes, yes you are. I, I don't see that happening. I see that whatever Christ is for, the enemy wants to be against. Go back to Genesis. Look at how we began. We began, it is good. You're facing each other. I'm walking in the garden with you. We're having a lovely relationship. Eat whatever you like. Not them two trees. Don't ask me why. It's fine. And we're all okay. Name the animals. Yes, that can be an anteater because it eats ants. Obvious. But whatever. And however, you know, this is good. I like it. And then, all of a sudden, the enemy comes along. And what does he seek to do? You see, the enemy knows he has no power in Christ's community. No. He doesn't have even an ounce. Don't, don't be fooled and think he has some sort of power. The only power he has is what you give him. So he knows he has none. And he knows that if he stands against Christ and Christ's community, he loses. Because he's already lost. And I want to give you an example from nature to really help you understand this. I love watching nature documentaries. And my wife loves watching them with me too. Said my wife never. Um, and... I, I do, I simply do, I love watching nature, right? And I was watching this nature program once and it was about lions. Now lions are by far my favourite mammal, right? They have such a presence, don't they? And who, every man wants that mane. Let's be honest. I don't care, I don't care what you say, you want that mane. Come on. You know. And I'm watching the lions doing that, you know, that shoulder number thing. Creeping up on this group of wildebeests. And they've got the ladies going around this way and other ladies going around that way. The male's sitting under a tree waiting for his meal to be delivered. <laughs> you know, and you know, he always comes in and gets the first chunk. I'm like, oh, I love, what are you doing? Um, but anyway, that's how it works. So that, and then all of a sudden, they pounce. And what do the wildebeest do? Well, there's a moment of slight panic. The wildebeest are like, oh, snap, there's a lion. And they kind of, like we would be, we, we would go, oh, snap, there's a lion. And I don't need to outrun the lion, I just need to outrun one of you. So as long as I can do that, I, I'm happy. And I, I'm pretty sure in my own ability I can do that. And they, they, they turn and they, they run. But then, it was just it was such an amazing moment. The wildebeest suddenly stopped and all turned round to face the lions. And the, I think there was about seven or eight of these female lions, these lionesses, charging on this wildebeest, suddenly stopped dead. They're kind of looking at each other. You see the amount of horns? You go first. You go first. Yeah, I've got your back. I've got your back. It'll be fine. And the wildebeest are just kind of standing up and going, come on in. I'm ready. Let's go. Horns. You Just a sea of horns. And you just sort of know that if you go at that, you, you, there's no winner there. You know. you, you're not coming out of that without being holy. So... <laughs> So if you want to be more holy, run out a load of wildebeests. It's not my advice to you. Um, 
And they stopped. Now, that is significant in itself, but then they do something even more powerful than that. They advanced on the lions. The apex predator of the animal kingdom was advanced on by its prey and it had nothing it could do. And so they just leave. They just turn and they're like, no. And the the woodbees just keep advancing. All together, just advancing. And the lions leave and they wait and they watch. And what are they looking for? They're looking for the one that decides that's not the right thing to do. The right thing to do is be over here. What? (laughs) Can't get me. That's the one they're looking for. Because it's that one that they can attack. That's the one that's galloping, thinking, everybody's run that way, I'll run this way, there's no problem whatsoever, until it turns around and realises there's ten lines around it, licking their lips. And what happened at the end of that documentary was that that wildebeest didn't exist anymore. But all the others were safe. Whether they were weak, whether they were old, whether they were injured, whether they were babies, if they were in that pack, I don't know if they're called packs, that herd, herd, that herd, the lions could not touch them. And more than that, if the lions advanced to where they were, they were powerless to stop them. The enemy knows that he is powerless to stop us. Christ says, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now let's be really honest here, right? Gates are not an offensive weapon. Okay? You don't go, what are you going to battle with? Sword. I've got a bow. What have you got? A gate. I'll gate them to death. It doesn't, it doesn't happen, right? You don't go into war with a gate. I don't know why I went northern, sorry. <laughs> I just see a massive northerner. I'll get him with my gate. I'll gate him. The other dude's like, don't take offence to this. I'm not. I've got a gate. Hey, we're here and we're having fun. So... Gates are not offensive weapons. They're defense. They're designed to stop people advancing upon you. So in olden days, you would lay a gate and go, if you want to try and get at us, you've got to come to that gate. The military base in Faz Lane, the, the naval military base, which has the nuclear subs, it boasts a five-minute fence. And they basically know that it will take the... Uh, Attackers, five minutes to get over these series of fences. So fences and gates are never designed to attack. And Christ says of his church, the gates of hell will not prevail against you. Whatever ground the enemy thinks he's got, wherever he's put his gates, wherever he thinks he has a stronghold, if we as a community decide in Christ's name we're going to go, he can do nothing. In the Bible it says, resist the enemy, draw close to Christ, and he will flee from you. He will, the enemy will flee from you. It doesn't mean he'll turn and walk away. Fleeing is what happens when Lydia gives me a load of jobs to do while she's out, and I hear the car door close when she's back, and I haven't done one. That's fleeing. That's turning around. You don't even shut the door, man. You're just out of it. You're bolted. That's fleeing. Fleeing is not this sort of, oh, okay, I'll, I'll fight another day. Fleeing is deserting, turning around and running in the opposite direction because you know you cannot stand against what's coming. Christ tells us that when we're a community, 
when we stand together, when we are united as one under Christ, the gates of hell cannot stand against that. But we have to do it from that point. We cannot do it from any other point but that. I chatted, I, in, my, in my time as a youth worker, I've chatted to so many young people and they have such a desire to go and reach the world and it's really lovely. But they want to reach the world by just going and being part of a, a community that doesn't know Christ and thinking they'll affect it. They miss the part that you can't affect the world if you're first not part of an effective community. It's effective communities that change the world, not individuals. Okay? It's effect- now, there may be individuals within that community who are the face of that community. The evangelists pushing the way, the prophetic people guiding. You know, there may be faces, but there's nobody bar Christ who can affect the world without being part of an effective community. And what did Christ do? You see, if I'm talking to you about an effective community, what did Christ do? Christ came down to be part of the people he loved. And he didn't walk in isolation. He had his three, his twelve, his seventy-two. God placed around himself a community of believers And from that point, he changed the world. He's three, he's 12, and he's 72. And I think there's a model there for us. There's, um, when when we've done Myers-Briggs in the past, which is a personality uh, test, one of the things it talks about is that most of us do not have the ability to have essentially more than four to five really close friends. I'm not saying that across the board. Some of you may have an abnormal ability. But uh, what I mean by really close friends are people that can speak into your life, people that can see you bare naked, not literally, bare naked, and be able to walk a journey with you. Somebody who you go to, you allow to speak into your life, who you can speak into their life. Somebody that is really there for you. You can only really sustain four to five of those. But you can always be part of a bigger community where there is still accountability, but you haven't got that such deep intentional relationship. But we are designed as people. We're designed, created to be part of community. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, I'm convinced that wherever your friends and family are, if I was speaking, C.S. Lewis says, to a young man, this is the advice I would give you. Wherever your friends and family are, be there also. Now, CSU is a pretty switched on cookie. I'm not sure he'd be like being called a cookie, but there you go. But he said, wherever your friends and family are, wherever your community is, wherever that place of power is for you, be there. Don't isolate yourself. Be with them. Because you'll do infinitely more there than you will anywhere else. And what's one of the main things that stops us being part of community? I don't know about you, but I've been hurt by communities. I've been hurt by Christian communities. And I've also been part of Christian communities that have hurt others. And every time somebody gets hurt by a Christian community, I see the same thing happen. They withdraw and they isolate. You see, the reason we're bred for communities is because in isolation, we have no accountability and we have nobody to counter the 
the voices of the enemy. And lies beget lies. Loneliness begets loneliness. I've never seen anybody withdraw from a community through hurt who hasn't just by their own admission come back and gone, yeah, now I'm fine. It doesn't happen. If you've been hurt by a community, it's time for you to lay that down. One of the pieces of power, one of the highways that God gives you is the ability to lay things down that have hurt you and the ability to let him heal the hurt that's been caused. And if this community has hurt you, then come and find one of its leaders and tell them. And let that person respond to you. If you've been hurt by a community that isn't this one, find somebody. Find a prayer team later. Find me, find John, find whoever. Tell them and lay it down. Because you cannot be part of an effective community while you're still carrying hurt because you don't have the ability to be your hands are full with unforgiveness. And therefore you cannot carry anything else. You cannot hold, you cannot be part of anything else. God woke me up last night and gave me that part. I hadn't originally got that part in this, in this chat. But he told me that there are people sitting here today that weren't necessarily always, they don't necessarily always come. They're not necessarily always a major part of this community. There are people here today who have been hurt by community and keep themselves on the edges because they can't be hurt again. I want to tell you, I get that. I get that. I was the most against church person you could have found. When John first met me, I was hypercritical of any church and any Christian organisation. I could tell you exactly what they should have been doing and what they weren't doing. Because I'd been hurt by a community in the past. And I couldn't allow myself to be part of a community again. Because I couldn't let myself get hurt. You see, when we try and protect ourselves, the only way we know how is to isolate ourselves. The only way we know how is to put up walls to keep people out so they can't get at us. That we can't be hurt again. Because it does hurt too badly. And the walls that we put up to protect ourselves always become the walls that imprison us. So if you've been hurt by a community today, please I beg of you, lay it down. It's a journey. It won't happen overnight. Hurt hurts us because it cuts. Because it pushes the buttons. Because it presses things that are inside. Hurt does not disappear like that. I've seen, phys- I've seen people with physical ailments healed like that. I've seen people get out of wheelchairs and dance out the room and leave them. I've seen people who haven't run for years run. But I've never once seen somebody emotionally healed like that. Because hurt is deep. Hurt has big roots and God loves you too much to just yank at you. But he loves you enough to start to take the soil out, replant, and then the next year you'll bear fruit. There's a story like that. It should be in the Bible, shouldn't it? But today, you see, if you're not on that pathway, if you're not walking that route, then you will not receive the fresh fertiliser that God has for you, is for you to bear fruit. So if that's you today, you see, one of the marks of a community is that we can be honest with each other. That we can allow each other to be, and that we can allow ourselves and our hurt to be known. 
Because being hurt is not weakness. Thinking that you don't need anybody is weakness. But being hurt is not weakness. Being hurt is human. Being hurt, being scared, feeling abandoned, feeling alone is not weakness. But doing nothing about it and thinking you don't need to, that is weakness. Strength is standing up and doing the one thing you really don't want to do. And saying, I'm hurt, I'm broken, and I need a community to love me better. Now, I don't know who that's for, and as I say, it wasn't originally in here. But God woke me up last night and he told me to do that. So, if that is for you, I'm not, this is just me personally, this is not a standpoint of Light and Life Church. I'm not big on the keep it hidden sort of thing and, and let's all close our eyes. Because I love a community that knows which people are hurting, which people are coming to faith. Which people, I love that kind of thing in a community. It's not that the other one's wrong. And I'm not saying that, please don't hear that. It's just a preference that I have. So if that is you, if you're hurting from community, let yourself be known. And let us, as a community, love the healing into you. Because that's what we're created to do. That's what we're designed to do. But the enemy desires that you be in isolation. The enemy tells you not to. The enemy tells you that you need to stay on your own. That you don't need these people. That these people will hurt you again. That these people are only doing this to try and raise their numbers. That these people just want your tithe money. But none of it's true. My entire desire this morning is that you walk out of here knowing that you can be, if you choose to be, part of a community that loves you. That's all i got. Just a community that loves you. So, but a community is only created by the people in it. Another thing that hurt people do is that we point the finger. It's always somebody else's fault, it's never ours. We become hypercritical. We become blind to our own insecurities. But as people, as people, we can choose to say, if I want this to be an effective community, I need to be part of an effective community. Be the change in this community that you want to see. Don't wait for somebody else to do it. Don't wait for John or Becky or Pete or Rosie. Don't wait for the youth worker. Don't wait for the worship band. Don't wait for the, I don't know, speaker. Be the change you want to be and see in this community. And it's very simple. You start with you. Don't look to change other people. Change yourself and you will change other people. Take the light out of the cupboard, put it up high for all to see, and you give people somewhere to go. You give them a place to aim at. Because we are the light, and we are the salt, and we are the hope. So let's be the change we want to see in this community so that we can effectively transform that community. Because we won't do it any other way. So what should a kingdom community look like? i just got a few markers for us. A kingdom community should look like living for others. Jesus said to his, his disciples, no greater love does any, any man than this, that he would lay down his life for his brothers and sisters. Laying down his life doesn't mean dying for, in the physical sense, it means putting aside yourself for the needs of others. If everybody did that, everybody's needs would be taken care of. And more importantly, we know that God says he will give us everything we need in this life. 
So I don't need you to give me what I need. I need to know that God gives me what I need, and then I am free to give you what you need. And if you all do the same, then there's going to be nobody in this community who misses out. If you all choose to go, right, I'm going to find somebody, maybe a close friend, maybe somebody got up on my heart, whoever, I'm going to find somebody, and I'm going to live my life for them, or for this group, or for that group, because God's got me, so I can have you. And more importantly, in humility, you allow others to have you. Pride says, I can be there for you, but you can't be there for me. Guard against that. Again, it's another trait that I see a lot in young people that I have to talk through a lot with young people, in that I want to be there for you, but I don't need anybody to be there for me. If you're not receiving, you've got nothing to give. You can only give what's inside of you, what's been put into you. So as a community, he's one of our markers, he's one of our distinguishing features, the fact that we live for others. These are questions. I'm not planning on answering them. Jesus also said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. A kingdom community dies to themselves every day and lives for Christ. It lays down their own wants and needs and follows Christ. A kingdom community is also a community that seeks to encourage and meet the needs of those both in and outside of its community. In the early books, in early writings and acts, the community came together, pulled all its resources, and then fed it back into the community. I'm not saying that's what we do, I'm just pointing out it's in there. But also in Hebrews, and let's consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. Meeting together should be a mark of a kingdom community. Peter, as soon as he gets out of jail, as soon as God releases him, the first place he goes is where he knows his people will be. And what are they doing? They're meeting together and praying for him. A mark of a kingdom community is that we know the plight and needs of other people and we seek to both prayerfully and physically meet them. That should be one of our markers. Empathising, empathising, empathising. Christ says, bear bear one another's burdens and so fulfil the law of Christ. A mark of a kingdom community is that we are prepared to carry those who at that moment are too weak to carry themselves. Are we a community that is prepared to hold up the arms of those arms that need to be held up? Or are we the kind of community that is out for ourselves and therefore if John Townley or if Pete Godfrey are weak, it doesn't matter because that just gives me an opportunity to step up. A kingdom community gets down the hole with those people who are in it and loves them out of it. Are we prepared to bear one another's burdens? A kingdom community shares burdens. Are we prepared to lay ourselves bare with our community and let others love us? One of my favourite it's not my favourite musical. One of, one of the musicals I love the most is Moulin Rouge. And uh, it's got this line in it that I think is so profound. The greatest thing you'll ever learn is to love and be loved in return. The greatest thing this community will ever learn 
is to love others and allow God to love you in return. What a community that would be. A a mark of a kingdom community should also be that we comfort one another. In Thessalonians it says, therefore comfort one another with these words. Also goes on, we urge you brothers and sisters, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak and be patient with them all. Patience, the fruits of the Spirit, are marks of a kingdom community. To lift others up. I don't seek to be lifted up, I seek to lift others up should be our mentality. Because if I'm seeking to lift you up and you're seeking to lift me up, we're all being lifted up. But if I'm only being prepared to be lifted up and I'm not seeking to lift others up, then others are just going to get trampled underfoot by those who've been raised up. A mark of a kingdom community is that we care more. One of the main marks of a kingdom community is accountability. Oh my word. It is vital for any kingdom community to have accountability. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person has great power as it is working. We need to hold each other, our leaders, and our congregation needs to be held account. When you are held to account, you can't have anything lurking in the shadows that can damage or hurt you. Because you bring it all out into the open and you're allowed to be loved. It's scary... First time I was asked to do it, I just bawled into tears in the end. I had a massive hissy fit. I told the person I was going to do it. I walked off. I went on a walk. Lydia had a quick, quiet word in my ear, and then I decided that she was right. And then I went back, and I couldn't do it. All I could do was cry, and the person just smiled at me. I'm in tears, man. Empathy. Mark of a kingdom community. But actually, that's began the greatest period of healing in my life ever. When I start to say, okay, this is me. I am scared. I am weak. I'm frightened most of the time. I doubt myself more than anybody else. I don't feel I'm good enough. I feel rejected. I feel neglected. I feel inferior. Oh yeah, all this into a great part and then I mixed it up. And I was meant to be leading a team at this point as well. The team started to take on the characteristics of its leader. I'll tell you that now. We need to be able to say I'm hurting. To say I'm struggling. We also need to be able to say I'm doing well. Yeah? Blessing as well as struggles we need to be able to share with a community. By the way, and I just want to say this, I love the the prophetic edge that's growing in this church. Mark of a kingdom community. Are we hearing from and following Christ? Keep it up. I think it's it's filled my heart with joy and I think it's amazing. So please keep it up. Hearing from, following, mark of a kingdom community. Um, Communication. Mark of a kingdom community. How do we talk to one another? How do we communicate with one another? That's what people remember when they leave this place. How did we communicate with one another? James says that what your mouth says shows what's in here. So as a community, how we communicate with each other shows what's in here and what's in here. How do we communicate with one another? Is it in love to raise up, to lift up, to affirm? Is it to bring instruction and rebuke in a loving and affirming way? Or is it to bring lower? Is it to criticise? Is it to bemoan? Is it to point the finger? Just remember, if you're hurting, hurt people hurt people. So that's when you need to say, I'm hurting, and allow people to love you. It's okay to be hurting. And lastly, I think some of the most powerful words of Christ, do everything in love. Everything you do... Now, I've had... Some ups and downs since I've been at this church. 
But I can tell you this, everything the leaders above me have done has been in love. And I'm the better for it. Whether it needed to be a butting of heads, whether it needed to be an affirming word, whether it needed to be a challenge laid down, all of it done in love. Do everything in love. Be intentional about it. So then my challenge, as I come into land, is this for for this community. Are you prepared to lay down your life for the sake of others? Individually, are you prepared to do that? Are you prepared to serve the needs of others? Are you prepared to stop standing on the sidelines, to stop waiting on the outside and do the scariest thing of all and step into the middle? Are you prepared to tell us how you're feeling? Are you prepared to be honest, be open and be vulnerable? Are you prepared to be held accountable? And are you prepared to do everything out of love? Are you prepared to take this community from where it is to the place God wants it to be? Because not one person can do it. 